Hello, and welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always host, Evan Sider, joined by my co-host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at eSider. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Also, make sure to follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support is very much appreciated. Hope you guys enjoyed our Monday episode we had for you on Media Day, live from Media Day. If you guys don't know, we are recording this later that evening. This will be going up on Tuesday. We are back on five days a week now, so glad to have you guys back in our airways for five days a week. But Hope you guys enjoyed the Mikhail Brewers episode. And really, before we dive into that, just what did you think about that interview, Brandon? Because it was a really good one. We even had that cameo appearance from D'Anthony Mellon and Leacobo. Yeah, the cameos definitely were the best part. I'm sure everyone will agree they're tired of hearing us talk. But those guys, I mean, it, it seems fun, right? That's like the thing that I got most from it is they finally seem like the Suns seem like they have guys who they want who want to be there literally i mean we can point to a tweet from a certain former point guard that says specifically that they were not interested in being here anymore and that like each other and want to play well together and fit together and i just you know it seems like that should go without saying for a rebuild that's six years old at this point five six years old but i don't know if that's quite been the case to the extent that it is now and i I think just not just the fact that Anthony Melton came and was joking around. Like, I'm not going to read too much into that, but everyone was in a good mood. Everyone was talking about each other a lot. Like I noticed that a lot this year is like, you ask one of these guys a question, Mikhail did this several times and they're pointing to, Oh, well, you know, that, that came from this guy. When I think about that, I think about the work this dude's putting in. And so I, I think that I hope that everyone got that, got that from the interview because he was, pretty excited about the atmosphere and stuff. And I think that's what came through the most for me. I know we were both at media day last year and obviously the, the expectations weren't as high as they were coming in this year. New coach, new really number one pick DeAndre. And you have another lottery pick and Mikhail Burrs. And you have two guys who Ryan Madonna had top 25 grades on Elliot Cobo and D'Anthony Mellon. So you have four top 25 prospects coming in from this year's draft class. But comparing media day to last year, Brian, wasn't the energy just a lot different? Like a, as far as like, we might actually be a surprise team this year. Like I, I think coming to media day last year when we knew the Suns were going to be really bad and the players kind of thought that as well. But don't you think it was kind of different this time around? Yeah, it definitely does seem that way. I think like every, every media day for every team in the whole entire league is probably unnecessarily optimistic and positive. Like these guys just kind of go crazy with how excited they are because I mean, it's a new season Like you're not going to go in being like, yeah, we'll see who knows. Maybe we'll suck. I'm not sure. Obviously like they, the front office spent a whole summer trying to put a team together. The coach is excited to, to try to, you know, tinker with it. And the players worked all summer to get better. Like that, that's what this time of year is for. But comparing it to last year, definitely was just a different mood. The fact that there was way more media there, way more, you know, tangible evidence of excitement about the team. Like, you know, people that weren't there last year decided to come out and try to show what this team's doing. And that always obviously is going to come off as more interest, but even just the players, like, I mean, I I don't know, last year was Earl Watson and just the way that he had of speaking to the media in these very vague, like oversimplified praise for, for different parts of a player's game. It was just kind of difficult to buy into and we all we all always felt that way and that was most of what last last year's media day is a bunch of unproven guys and then watson's just kind of talking them up 
this year, it feels like there's reason to be optimistic and, and listen to what these people are saying rather than just kind of like, you know, shrugging off like, all right, guys. Yeah, we'll see. All right. We've gone four minutes into the podcast. I know our listeners probably eagerly awaiting us our discussion about this, but the Suns still don't have a starting point guard, supposedly, unless they think Shaquille Harrison, Elio Kobo, Isaiah Cannon, or Dianthe Mellon's their starting point guard. We both thought this wouldn't happen about a month ago at this point, three weeks at this point. The Suns traded Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris for Dianthe Mellon and Ryan Anderson. Adrian Wojnarowski reported that a trade was likely imminent because the Suns were looking very aggressive for point guards, starting caliber point guards. Then just like four or five days ago, Sean Sherania tweeted out from Stadium, from The Athletic, that... Patrick Beverly was the Suns' number one target, and but the Clippers were asked for a future first-round pick in return. The Suns were only offering second-round picks. What's just your thoughts on this situation? Because now there's no Beverly there. There's no Kemba. There's no Lillard. Now there's Shaq Harrison, Elliot Kobo, Dancy, and Mellon. So what's up with the PG situation? I think the, the, the biggest quote to really try to read into how they feel, because aside from this one quote, it was mostly – Again, optimism, but, you know, just you can't just sit there wishing for something you don't have. Like this rotation of point guards that you just listed is what the Suns have on their roster. And I think you can be upset about that or you can try to make the most of it. And obviously, if you your job is to make this team better, then you just make the most of it. And so everything else is pretty much that to some extent, explaining how they're going to try to use the guys uh, explaining what makes each of them special and unique and you know why they deserve a chance, etc. But the one thing I'm talking about is McDonough mentioned um, after he kind of went into what he likes about all these guys, he said, we're going to keep pretty actively, it sounded like, talking to other teams about potential point guards, he said, through training camp, up until opening night, and through to the trade deadline. So basically... Who knows when that problem will be solved, but I guess the thing to take away is that they're trying. What do you think, I guess, I know the Suns are obviously trying here, but are you kind of surprised that at this point, unless they make a trade at training camp or they kind of get a point girl off an extra roster spot, like the Clippers, they have 17 roster spots. They can only keep 15. So unless they get one of those point guards or somewhere else, What's your expectations for a starting point guard who's likely, if I had probably 80-20 odds, in my opinion, that Shaq Harris could be the starting point guard? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you you talked to Shaq today. Why don't you – you didn't even tell me what kind of what he said. I mean, I read your piece, which everyone should go look at at Bright Side of the Sun, um, just kind of looking through this situation and how they got to where they are and what, what they talked about today from McDonough to Kokoshkov to um, the players themselves about how it'll go moving forward but what did Shaq say like I mean does he do you think he feels like he's the guy in that spot or do you think he's still talking was he still talking as if he's somebody who has only played 23 games and still has a lot to prove kind of the latter there I would say that he still kind of considers himself a young guy on this team even though he could be pushed into heavier duty but from what he told me he said now he didn't make playmaking improvements from summer league because we obviously saw that Shaq struggled a little bit as far as helping DeAndre now, but that's kind of also on DeAndre for now getting good post position. But obviously he said he improved a lot since summer league as far as playmaking ability goes. And he also said, quote, my shooting strip is going to surprise a lot of people this year. So if Shaq Harrison comes into the season, we'll talk, we'll talk, touch on TJ Warren in a little bit because there's also hype about him today, but 
if Shaq Harrison all of a sudden finds a three-point shot, let's say he gets like 30-32%, what does that change for a guy like him? It allows him to play off the ball, I think, is the biggest thing because I think almost every other part of his game is pretty tailor-made to fit to fit next to Devin Booker. I mean, he's not a perfect player because he is so young. He doesn't have a lot of NBA experience, so it's tough to even say what he is and then try to make any claim about whether or not that fits what Booker is right now either. But he seems like the shell of a guy who is pretty perfect for Booker if he can get a shot. So I think playing off the ball is the biggest thing, and that kind of completes that puzzle where he's a pretty good slasher. He needs to finish around the rim a lot better. That's the other thing which I think he's added some bulk and weight. Um, so that, that should help in that department and just reps, you know, playing, finishing up above and against NBA caliber big men is, I'm, I would imagine, completely different than college. We see that with a lot of guards, way more highly touted than Shaq Harrison. So that's going to need to change, but he's pretty quick and, and crafty already. So I think if he, you know, continues to get reps doing that, and then if, if he develops a three-point shot, then the defense is is there. I mean, I went back in and looked today because I wrote about it a little bit too. And his steal percentage last year was three point two percent. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's up there with the best stealing uh, point guards. You know, small defenders in the league. He's already there. He you know is getting even bigger. He should be able to compete even better on defense. So that that in my mind isn't really a concern. It's the offense and uh, the three point shots a big thing. You know, everybody kind of said that they had been working on the three point shot today which you mentioned with with tj melton obviously we, we can probably move on to him too worked with drew hanlon um and was just bombing away at summer league just going off like crazy at summer league so it's a lot different in the summer but you know if any one of these guys really i think is the, the biggest thing if any of melton harrison or okobo can become a consistent shooter it's going to help a lot and they'll probably make them you know the favorites to earn the majority of minutes until the situation gets more figured out. What do you think? I know it's hard to, because McDonough kind of gave a really, not like a vague answer, but he kind of gave himself a four or five month window as far as getting this point guard situation resolved. So do you just putting your, like your guessing hat on here, Brendan, when do you think this is going to get solved? Do you think there's really a possibility that the Suns do go into the regular season opener with the current point guard situation? I think so. I mean, I'm actually happy just to be on the record about it, that they were talking about it the way that they did today. Um, and Kukushkov too, I mean, he had a pretty, he had a better quote on, I and mean, he had a better perspective, I think, being that he doesn't really have any control over getting the guys. I think he's kind of in the, the, the camp that I've mentioned at the beginning of like making the best of what's on the roster now. And um, so his, his perspective on it, what he said today was just, you know, we don't have a guy that's far and away, a starting caliber, you know, no brainer guy at that position, but we have four guys who could, you know, start on any given night. Not that I think he's going to shuffle the starting lineup every night, but what he's saying is just, we have four guys who are going to compete against one another and whatever happens happens. So uh, I think all things considered, that's better because if they came in and said, you know, we're, we're really worried about what that, weakness and hole in our roster could do to this team, then that signals to me that we're going to see an overpay, a desperation trade within the next three weeks until the start of the regular season. And I don't think anyone wants to see that. So the fact that they were pretty open and honest about just 
doing what they can with what they have and, and what they like about the three guys. I think that's the other thing too. You can tell me what you think, but one thing that hearing McDonough and Kokushkov talk about those three guys can, and I think will be cut. I mean, um, you, again, tell me if you disagree, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. But of those other three guys, I don't think any one of them is going to be dealt in a point guard trade. I think they seem to like all three of them a lot. I agree with you. I, I really think that at least for this year, all three are going to stay around. I, I agree with you. Isaiah can't, I think he has to be cut because Darrell Arthur, they have 17 spots just like the Clippers, but Isaiah Cannon's fully non-guaranteed, just a training camp deal. I can't see them, even though he's a really fun guy to be around the locker room, I really can't see him staying around past training camp because it just makes a lot more sense for him to move on and focus on the other three guys. But yeah, I really think that it just makes a lot more sense for them to do that. But moving on to TJ Warren, Brennan, so much buzz about him today. Surprisingly, even he looks completely different. He has a new hairstyle, new name. He has Warren Jr. in the back now instead of Warren. So I don't know if he's going to be going by TJ still or by Tony Warren Jr. I have no idea, but he's Igor Kokoshkov, general manager Ryan McDonough. I didn't talk to TJ, so I don't know, but everyone else was hyping up him, overhauling his three-point shot, fixing it. And like we we're everyone else talking about like all the media members, because we obviously favor guys like Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bruce more because they obviously show more as far as like, the prototype we want to put on Devin Booker and what regressions or progressions, whatever you want to think from TJ Warren the past few years. I really think that if TJ Warren can get a perimeter shot, guys like me and you are going to look really stupid. It, I mean, I think he's been the only thing standing in his way of being a really good player his whole career. I mean, he's, he, his, you know, lack of certain things is why, he is going to determine whether he earns his contract. It's going to determine what his ultimate NBA career is. I, I've never thought that he didn't have the ability to become a decent shooter. I think that's one of the things that's been so frustrating watching him. Isn't, you know, there's plenty of guys you look at and you're like, well, he's never going to be a shooter. That's, you know, that's easy. And then you move on. The fact that he is so talented in other areas that he has so much touch around the basket and even from mid range. And uh, the fact that he's gone through different streaks where he's a more willing and efficient shooter at different parts of his career is what makes it so frustrating. So I've never been worried that he had the ability. It was really just getting over the hump and doing it. And so maybe it just took, what is this, his fourth coach? It just took somebody like Kokushkov coming in and being like, you know, here's your role. This is what I need you to do. Otherwise, I mean, I, I think we've, we've, we've all been saying it all summer, like, there wasn't an obvious role for him on this team if he didn't buy into what's going to be happening on the court. So maybe that's the wake up call he needed. And, and really maybe he, maybe he is. I mean, again, optimism was the, the general mood for everybody involved today, but multiple people, different people said it and referred to it in different ways. I mean, Kakushkov also said that he thinks Warren, he thinks of Warren as a, the fourth ball handler um, for the Suns. And somebody that could play the four. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot more optimism about Warren than I think anyone was expecting. Do you think that changes anything as far as just kind of hearing the progress that he supposedly has made? Did that change how you feel about his potentially potential to be included in the trade? I think it makes more sense from his value standpoint. I mean, maybe that 
around a trade deadline, if TJ Cruises at least has a better shot, then I think he could be involved in a point guard trade when he proves his value more. But if he does all of a sudden under Igor add all these skills that he was missing, then that contract doesn't look that bad because if he is a good shooter, if he's a better passer, better defender, he's only making 10.8 million in 2019, 2020. So that's not that bad. And I really think that maybe since Igor was kind of touching on a little bit, like you said, being a playmaking four, do you think TJ Warren's going to be playing a lot more forward than even a guy like Dragon Bender this year? Because it seems like with the point guard solution, especially that we're going to be seeing not only Devin Booker play a lot of the primary ball handler, but also Josh Jackson and also see really all these wings to get on the floor at the same time more than we thought we would initially. Well, the problem is that there's just not enough minutes to go around like that. That's going to be sorted out in the preseason and over the course of the beginning of the regular season. And I think it'll be an ongoing kind of thing to monitor is just that there's too many, I don't know if they're all good enough to earn minutes, but there's too many guys who the Suns have some sort of investment in, in one way or another, or who are just obvious, no brainer guys to be playing a lot to make it all balance out. Like, you know, I think Warren seems like he's going to play more at the four, but that just adds another name to a position we already thought was going to be challenging to fit everyone into. So, you know, they all, <clears throat> there was also tons of positive positivity about Bender himself today. Um, and, you know, they're not going to just give up on somebody like that who was a number four overall pick and kind of survived the battle between himself and Marquise Chris this summer with Chris being sent out. So I don't really know what it means because there's just way too many guys on this roster who, need to play slash should be playing and uh, it's tough to really make a guess right now if i if i had to make a personal guess i think that one way or another that the point guard situation gets resolved by trading one of the excess guys on the wing or at the four position that makes a lot of sense just really just unclog that issue but moving on here to deandre aiden what you think about him today because a lot more subdued than i thought he'd be he seemed kind of in awe about me today that talking about how guys work really hard. Like he's, he's buying in to what Igor is saying, but he's also kind of surprised by how much actual work ethic it takes to be like an NBA player. Just obviously he just turned 20 years old. So he's, it's his first time doing all this, but are you, are you kind of surprised by how kind of starstruck Aiton was? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, right? Just you dream of doing something your whole life. And then you walk in the door for the first time and you're like, wow, this is, you know, this is what it takes. And I think, you know, I, I noticed the same thing. I, I think everyone that's seen Aiton for any period of time now, which we've, we've already had probably four or five great quotes from him and he hasn't even played an NBA game yet. We're expecting some hilarity, right? But I think I noticed the same thing you did, which is just kind of subdued and taking it all in to a certain extent. And that's, I think, a good sign. I mean, I, you don't read too much into it, but at the, at the same time, like I feel that he, he just kind of gets it in a way that maybe you just couldn't have expected him to like, you think of that post draft workout interview he did. That was about the most confidence I've ever seen a human being exude in my entire life. <laughs> and to compare that to how he was today, um, responding to Joel Embiid saying he, that he was going to kick his ass by kind of just shrugging and saying, well, you know, what am I supposed to say? I, that guy was a 
you know, all NBA candidate last year and I'm not even a rookie officially yet. You know, I, I think that's a good perspective to have. Now being confident is great too. A lot of guys have made entire careers out of exceeding the odds that, that were given to them. But for Aiton especially, knowing how much work he has, uh, I think it's good to see him kind of take the more patient, hardworking route in the way that he was speaking to us today instead of coming out and saying, you know, I'm ready for the season. Let's get this going. I'm so ready to win a bunch of games because I think that would have just come off as just out of place. And then more, one more thing on DeAndre here before we go to Devin Booker for our last part of the pod. And that just, were you kind of, I mean, not surprised the number one overall pick, but Ryan Anderson was gushing about DeAndre today. So was Trevor Ariza at some points. Josh Jackson was. Booker was. Booker definitely was. McDonough was. Everyone was. So do you think he's picking up the nuances of Igor's system and just being an NBA player overall quicker than we both thought? Just because we both, obviously, as the listeners know, did not have number one on the board. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who seemed excited about just how quickly everyone was taking to the system. Um, And I think the one thing we should highlight when it comes to that is how adamant Kokushkov was about what he expects um, from a, like an X's and O's just on court perspective or standpoint with Aiton. Um, He said he's a center, nothing but a center, um, which he's said before, but he reiterated that again and just went on to say that he wants things to be simple and easy for Aiton. He said that he's a very skilled player and has a lot to grow from and build his game up over the years, but that for now, the idea of having a Ryan Anderson, Trevor Ariza, um, Devin Booker around Aiton is to make his job easier. And he he said multiple times that defense is going to be the focus. And when Aiton came out on the podium, he said the same thing. And he said that he understood why that was going to have to be the way things went and why it was so important to start with defense and and how that was going to help the Suns become a better team over time rather than you know, pick and pop threes six times a game. So, you know, I just, I I was really happy about all of those things. And I think he does seem to be picking things up. I hope so. Um, And I hope that I I just, I think part of what becomes a problem and I, I, it grew on me today hearing everybody talk. I think I undervalue the veteran thing a little bit but everybody was talking about it today all the young guys were talking about it and it's difficult to argue with it at that point so I just I guess I just hope that that stuff actually does have an impact on this team because I think that can be kind of a intangible way that these guys jump and make a leap quicker than any of us are expecting yeah actually I'm glad you brought that about the leadership from the veterans because Mikhail said on our podcast today that he and Josh Jackson are not forced I mean obviously they're teammates but Trevor Ariza, once him and, and Josh Jackson worked out with him every morning, they do. They put up shots every morning, which is amazing influence already by Ariza. That already shows you how much of a leader he's trying to be in Phoenix. So are you kind of surprised by that? Just because we, we all thought Ariza was taking just a one-year $15 million payday, but he's taking this seriously. Yeah, I mean, it shows that the the stuff about how good of a teammate he's been throughout all of his years was right on on point from everywhere else he's been, and that – you know, he didn't just come over here to make some money, put up some shots, and then go take a buyout and play with Houston again. Maybe he'll do that, but it doesn't, he's not treating it like just 
uh, a nothing year, you know? So I think that's awesome. I mean, in my mind, you don't come to Phoenix just expecting to sit on the sidelines of the rebuild and watch everybody develop behind you. But we, we know that happens, right? Not everybody's just ready to go do that and teach, teach young guys. That's not even, you know, in, in life, you get a job with somebody younger than you, or you're doing something with people that don't know what they're doing. You're not always sitting there holding their hand, but the fact that Ariza wants to, and one thing I thought was interesting from him, we can kind of transition into Booker to end this is somebody asked Ariza, like you've been around a lot and he's been on tons of teams at this point. Like, what does this remind you of? Is it starting out with Harden? Is it, um, what Chris, he saw Chris Paul, the early part of his career, he's been around a ton of young guys and he compared it to the wizards. I don't know if you heard that, but with wall and Beal kind of in the early part of their careers. And I just thought that was really interesting. That's not what I was expecting him to say at all. Yeah. I think he's just a guy. He's a no nonsense guy. And and really, if you're not up to his standards of playing, like doing effort, putting your best effort forward, being a, a, trying to be a good defender, trying to do the best you can, he's going to get on you about that. And I really, I don't want to judge book by its car, but it just seems like already a guy like Trevor Reese's leaps and bounds better than a veteran leader like Jared Dudley. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's showing at least more than the, than it did with Dudley. And um, last year was tough. You know, I think it was a lot harder to really make an impact when there was just so much less talent on the court, but it does seem like the guys that they brought in this year, the hope being that they would be, eager and active mentors it's already going that way and i think that's that's really good to see i think that was another huge difference comparing that last year's media day to this one was just the uh the narrative being how much of an impact the veterans were having on the young team hey Suns fans it's getting to that time of year in phoenix where people are finally leaving their houses right Sporting events are going on. We're going to have all three major sports soon at the tail end of October. There's no time better to get out and see the shows that you want to see. With Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, show, or sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you could ever imagine going to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more to save even more money. So all you have to do, it's super easy, is go to the App Store, Google Play Store, wherever you get apps, and download the Vivid Seats app. You're going to use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts, games, theater, anything you could possibly imagine, Vivid Seats is going to have it. Download the app, enter promo code LOCKEDON, the name of this show, for $20 off orders of $200 or more. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Um, Did you, I know you and I weren't over there because we were talking to Ryan McDonough during Booker's um, podium time, but did you go back and watch it? I, I caught because Dave King put it up on the Bright Side YouTube channel, which people can go check out too. Um, did you did you catch any of it? I actually haven't had the chance to. What what happened? Well, I mean, he he was he's such a polished media guy, which is just I don't even understand, and it's super frustrating to be honest. But I don't know. I was trying to kind of 
I was hoping I should have just been over there. I was hoping that somebody asked him like whether he was prepared and, and ready to be the primary playmaker if the, if, if it came to it and there wasn't a guy brought in who could just run the offense kind of talked about it a little bit, but he's just so positive and, and stuff that he was mostly just saying like, you know, we, it's an opportunity for all these young guys. I'm really, really excited about what we have. And, he did harp a lot on what Aiton was going to bring to kind of open things up. And some actually I think it might've been Dave asked him like directly about the Houston model. And, and, and Devin was like, we obviously have two starters from that team, but he said the big difference for us is we have such a talented big man in Deandre. So that kind of stuck out to me. He said he's been watching film of the 2016, 17 rockets to get a feel for how Ariza and Anderson kind of play on offense, where they want to get the ball, where their, you know, hot, hot spots are on the court. And, but he, he just, you know, he would not stop talking about eight. And I think he's really excited. Um, So, you know, we'll see if that really changes things. I think Anderson and Ariza being on the court might, might be a little bit more impactful than Aiton in the early going. But, um, you know, if, if Aiton turns out to be better than Clint Capella, I think everyone would be very excited. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, one thing also on Booker we should touch on, I know you wrote a story on it, but for the listeners who haven't seen me today or anything like that, can you update them as far as Booker's, Booker's hand goes? Yeah, McDonough said uh, the sutures, the stitches from his hand surgery on September 9th got taken out last week. Um, he's been doing pretty much everything he can do outside of you know shooting and passing and uh, working with his right hand, but he's been He's been doing as many drills as he can, getting up shots and, and passes lefty. And um, they're going to reevaluate him next week and see if the mobility is coming back in his right hand, at, at which point he'd start working with that and, and hopefully be at least in line to, you know, be day-to-day come, come opening night. And Booker reiterated, too, he's like, you know, the goal is, is to play opening night. The goal, the goal is to miss no games. So I think that's way more optimistic than the initial timeline on the press release. So that's a good sign. And also, I guess we should touch on this before we end today's pod. And it's also, like you said there, we had our, a one-on-one time with Ryan McDonough after his press conference. It was a really good interview with him. But um, we touched a little bit on the, because we've always touched on the Locked On pod, just the eerily similar parallels between year three of Devin Booker, year three of James Harden. And I kind of asked him directly, I'm like, do you think that James Harden is the type of guy that you want Booker to develop into being like a primary initiator, super efficient offensive guy? And he came out just flat directly and said, yeah, that's the guy he should model his game after. And looks like he's doing it so far, like you said, watching the 16, 17 Rockets. And what do you think about that? Because obviously the point guard situation is not dire, but it's so inexperienced to the point where I think that maybe Igor himself also realized it himself that we're going to be seeing a lot of point book this year, maybe not starting, but I think we're going to be seeing a lot more than we thought we would, at least maybe even a couple weeks ago. I hope so. I mean, I think that the most optimistic thing with that is from Igor's standpoint, saying that he felt like a strength of the team was having multiple ball handlers, even mentioned Ariza in that way, which I've heard a lot of people do. I've never noticed that watching the Rockets that Ariza is necessarily like, uh, dribbling and passing but I guess I understand it from the standpoint of he's a guy that's that big who isn't just a complete turnover waiting to happen when the ball scoots his way and he can kind of keep the machine moving a little bit so 
you think about him in that list too, and then you have Bender, um, even Aiton, who you know isn't gonna you know brick the ball off of his hands like some big men, and then you know the the usual candidates Booker, Jackson, Warren, et cetera, and then all the point guards like that is going to be a strength of this team, and I think Kokushkov mentioning that multiple times just goes to show that he doesn't feel beholden to the fact that maybe there isn't a great point guard on the roster that you just need to give that guy the ball and just kept keep pressing your players that something will work and be even more willing to get creative with who has the ball, who's initiating offense and where the ball's going on a given possession more than we even thought he would. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun offense. Obviously we saw a lot of Slovenia watching a lot of Igor even before he was hired. And I love his, just his creativeness on both sides of the ball. I think it's really translating early on so far. And it, did you, if you didn't read Josh Jackson's undefeated article, he's going to be doing a diary with Mark Spears this year. It was kind of interesting how he compared Igor to Steve Kerr. And I kind of actually do see some similarities there. I didn't read that, but I, I agree that Igor, Igor was probably the most impressive part of media day. And the reason that I maybe bought into the hype as much as I am, I'm sure people are hearing that from both of us. Cause we were just there hearing, letting it all sink in for three, four hours today. But for me, it was really listening to Kokoshkov and I, I just, the one thing I'll say about him is like, I just can't imagine like letting that guy down. And maybe that that's really just the, one of the easiest ways to talk about leadership in whatever capacity basketball or anything is somebody who instills the work ethic and the, you know, competitiveness, passion drive to just try to be great and somebody who you would never want to let down. And so that I just, overwhelmingly felt from him today. Like he's just no nonsense. He's the, he was asked about his coaching philosophy. The first thing he says is, you know, I'm, I've never coached to lose. And he said stuff like that throughout the off season. It's just, you know, he's not a guy who's going to accept nonsense, accept low effort. And I think if you have a team with as many young guys as the Suns have now, there's really no other way to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm really excited really for all not only Ira Koshka, but also to see how all these guys do this year. It's going to be really interesting for the Phoenix Suns. But anything else you want to hit on as far as this media day topics go, Brennan? No, just uh, everyone rate and review us. We don't say that enough. It's a super easy way to support the show. Um, check out the Locked On NBA national show. It's been going on all summer. And I don't know if you guys are also subscribing to that. Maybe your the other team shows aren't quite for you because you're a big Suns fan and you don't necessarily care about the day-to-day of every other team. But we do a national show, different hosts every day. Every Monday, there's local experts talking about what's going on. So you get a little bit of a snippet of the bigger stories from the other teams. And then it's available in all the same places as as our show. So it's, it's a super easy way to support the whole network. We all kind of benefit when you guys listen to anything that we put out. But especially our show, just rate and review us on whatever platform you listen on and uh, like Evan said, we're back to five days a week sooner than we were expecting. But with how much there is going on in Suns world, I'm sure there will be plenty to plenty to get to every day. For sure, I think for as far as the schedule goes, if anyone's curious, Tuesday and Wednesday I will be in Flagstaff. So this we're recording our Tuesday episode, as you guys probably already can tell by now. On Monday evening, it'll be going out on Tuesday. Then I have an interview with Kellen Olson from Flagstaff. He'll be there with me. We'll have an interview about training camp. Then Thursday and Friday. Brian and I will just be back in our usual positions talking about training camp and anything that's happened so far. So I appreciate you guys listening on today's podcast. We'll be back to you guys tomorrow.